Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. They call me yellow-skinned wacky man, but I prefer the creeper. The creeper. The creeper. From whatever, Batman the Animated Series, right? What, yeah, whatever happened to him? I, there was the pre-New 52, there was a horrible reboot with nanotechnology or something like that. As one does. As one does, yeah. yeah. And since the New 52, nothing. Hopefully nothing, you know. They, it's another legacy yet untarnished. Anyway, this is a comic book podcast, if you haven't guessed from all, you know, actually referring to the Creeper. Nobody else would do that. This is a comic book <laughs> podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seaport, the best online and on-your-shelf source for comic books and pop culture news, reviews, and critique. And, for example, if you like this podcast, you can read one of our, their articles, such as... Maria Ramos is doing an article on the strain in vampire culture, which has actually reignited some old uh, discussions about how vampires are presented. Because after Twilight, there were problems. But I think the strain is sort of course-correcting in that sense, and Ramos is writing about it. And if you like that article, if you like this podcast, maybe you'd like to give us some money. Muchas. Dinaros. Sequart is on Patreon. When you're ready, come and get it. La 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 la. La 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 la. So, there's been a ton of news, because oh, this is yeah. the post-NYCC age, mm-hmm. and therefore we should start now. Quickly, quickly. Yes. Okay, so much to talk about, but I want to start by offering, not exactly a retraction, but it's one of those things where you can still see the imprint of my palm on my forehead. So, a few episodes back, we were talking about Scott Alley stepping down as editor-in-chief at Dark Horse, and at the time I was sort of upset, because I... He had green-lighted Frey, which I really enjoyed, and he was responsible for a lot of interesting work at Dark Horse. That was before I found out why he was stepping down. Uh, according to a report made by Janelle Esseline via Graphic Policy, uh, Scott Alley sexually assaulted several people who work at Dark Horse. Uh, writer Joe Harris came forward and said that during an event... A drunk Scott Alley grabbed at his crotch and then beat him on the ear. Apparently, he's known within Dark Horse as Bitey the Clown, which made me cringe on so many levels. Like, what, what would happen as soon as Ethelon broke this story was that more details kept coming out every single day, and, like, your skin is gradually crawling further and further away. Yeah, and there's no he said, she said, A, because it's he said, and he said, yeah. and B, because Scott Alley basically said... Yes. No, he admitted I, I, did, I did it. He I apologize. It. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I need help. I didn't get help at the time. Scott Alley is now the poster boy for sexual harassment in the workplace, which is well, no. on so many levels. I think one of the uh. things to get from this is not necessarily just about Scott Alley, which, by the way, still keeps his job. Of still course. at Dark Horse. That's the thing. Well, when it's we talk about an, him stepping down, he stepped down from editor-in-chief to what? Executive, executive senior editor. Uh, yeah. Any other company, right? Any other no. business in the world, you get cited for you, you. You go down for sexual harassment. They fire you to avoid getting no, sued. No, see, see, I don't think so. Because as someone who came from one of these small enclosed cultures, because I grew up in a kibbutz and mm-hmm. then I went to the army, these you know small enclosed people, no people, workplaces tend to cover each other. And always want to treat things in-house. So if you have this rumor, or even if you directly know about some guy doing something that he shouldn't do, you're basically trying to dissuade him. You're saying, well, don't do that. Nobody should know about this. And let's not call the police. Let's not do anything that we're supposed to do. Let's just make it disappear. Uh-huh. And I don't think 
Dark Horse or even comic book cultures in general, which, if you believe the reports, this is far from being the only case. And I believe, no. I believe that he Alan can't Scott be... has been banging on that drum no, 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 for I... months. Yeah, but that he knows something that he doesn't yeah, but know. he's not. I assume he's not the only one because there are dozens of companies, there are hundreds of employers and employees. You know, it can't be just one guy. I don't think it's unique to comic books, but it is something we should grapple with. And thank God nobody nobody said to Joyce, well, you're just lying to get an attention for yourself or some crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Which, you know, if, oh, if he was a she... I mean, he, was that not what happened with Brian Wood? Yeah, if he was a she, there would be all these people jumping and saying, well, you don't have any proof, mm -hmm. and what about his side and his opinion, and oh, you... Poor Scott Alley, so no, no. Just gross. Like, yeah, yeah. The whole thing is really disgusting. I'm not even going to mince words here. It's just... Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the sort of thing that needs to... Yeah, so uh, good on Joe Harris for coming yes. forth. Yes. Good on Janelle Asseline and Graphic for Policy for, for, for yeah, doing she the hard work. Stand well done. Okay. Uh, In weirder news... Yeah, that's just weird. Okay, so there's this cartoonist called Matt Bross. He's a political cartoonist and apparently mm -hmm. one of the few in this odd, odd world that manages to hold his head above water via recognition and payments and awards and such. Okay. Which is fine. Never heard of him. Okay. So, are you familiar with Martin Shirk Shirkerly? The, the entrepreneur who... The face of American capitalist bastardry at the moment. Yeah, yes. the guy who bought the the medicine for helping aid survivors and basically checked out the prices. 5,000% it was? Mm -hmm. Something crazy like this. Now, I'm because not... Because if you're going to hell, you might as well take the yeah, express now, elevator. I have no idea about making... about the making of these medicines. I don't know anything about the prices and the and the cost and whatever. 5,000%? Yeah. So even, <laughs> so even if there is something justifying what he did, he was horrible at communicating it, and no wonder he became the internet's favorite punching boy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Braz tweeted at him, like many other people, but for some reason, either Martin himself or someone using his name answered back Yeah, and offered to give uh, Braz $10,000 right then and there to debate him freely. And he, somebody did get the money because oh, debates never happen on the internet. I don't know, and and the money was transferred right there and then. It's all kept on Twitter, and then Mar and then someone who claims to be Martin said, "No, it wasn't me." So somebody pretending to be him gave up ten thousand dollars for a debate that, as far as I know, didn't yet happen. What are we doing wrong that you and I aren't getting $10,000 to debate a person well, about what's not obviously wrong? We're not tweeting someone, somethings at, you know, rich people. Well, maybe we should. We should get on Twitter. We're, we're doing, you see, you are always talking against Twitter yeah. and this guy got $10,000 for Well, talking. well, he, he gave it, he gave 90% of it to charity. I would that, do the that, same. That was the agreement, that he would get the money, he would, he'd choose a charity, he would give the money, he would keep 10%, and then the debate would begin. That's some nice 10%, though. That's, you know, nothing to cough about. You know, That's so Twitter is useful for something after all. You see, I've been telling you. So good on Bros for getting money <laughs> and the publicity <laughs> and and no effort whatsoever because he didn't well, have the debate. Well, he did rock our tune about it, which of is his, it's his job. Well, there you go. There you go. So NYCC happened, this New York uh, Comic Con. Okay, let's run through some of the interesting bits that came out of it because it's always the the events 
San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, they're always interesting, not just because of the news that is revealed at the actual convention, but because adjacent to the event, there are always these discussions yeah. and rumors and things flying also, around. Also, unlike San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con is still mostly about comics. Yes. People actually been... talk about comic and not about comic-related stuff. Not that there wasn't plenty of that at New York Comic-Con, but yeah. you're right, I think San Diego has become sort of a more multimedia thing. Geek chic, I believe it's I guess. called. I guess, which is fine. You know, I, geeks need all kinds of different geeks mechas. Need what geeks fine. need. So let's start with, I think this was really one of the most interesting reveals. Dynamite Entertainment announced that Gail Simone and Nicola Scott have implemented a redesign of three major female characters. This is Red Sonia, Vampirella, and Deja Thoris from the John, John Carter, Carter franchise. franchise. So the writers that were announced were Marguerite Bennett for Red Sonia, thank Barbieri for Deja Thoris, and Kate Leth is doing Vampirella. Kate Leth is really blowing up now. Yeah. Good for her. Kate Leth is doing Vampirella. I would say it's the weirdest writer for Vampirella ever, but then I remembered Grant Morrison wrote Vampirella for like two issues or something. Well. So nothing could be weirder than that. Now, I want to say this. We here at the Smorgasbord haven't really talked about Dynamite Comics at any great length. Yeah, we've right? talked about been... the spirit, and that's yeah. it, I believe. And now I don't know how you feel about these particular characters, but for me, a big problem was exactly the fact of the way that they looked. Because when you think about it, like Red Sonia is the kind of character that I should love. I love the the woman warrior trope. Uh, I loved Xena growing up, and Simone had already retconned that whole like rape origin story thing. She already erased it, so I shouldn't have had a problem with it. But the chainmail bikini thing is really ridiculous, and Vampirella wears now, like it's, yeah, it's not, boob suspenders. Yeah, it's, we should say it's not just new creative teams; it's basically a new redesign looks. of no, the no, looks. It's a redesign from the ground up. I mean, Deja Thoris was running around with nipple tassels. Now, to be fair, in the original novels, everybody on Mars is naked, including the men, because of course they are. Well, you know, it's equal. It's equal opportunity fence. Yeah, but John but Carter was also nude. No, but vis- when you talk about visual representation, yeah. right? In artwork, how often do you see John Carter naked? Not a lot. No. So that's may- maybe that's why the movie failed. Well, yeah. no, no. no, but wasn't he Taylor Kitsch? Yes. No. People think him attractive. I do some, they? Every movie people... he goes and tends to crash. I mean, he was in Battleship. For no, God's but sake. I'm saying good looking. Okay, never mind. Whatever. Anyway, so, I think what what happened here, this is just a theory, right? But I think what happened is that Dynamite finally figured out why these particular designs, right, these three characters, were so antiquated. It's not just the familiar rhetoric that we've been hearing for so long about female objectification, and even though that that is a completely valid objection to raise, right? They are sort of the poster girls for... Hey, look at me, boobies. Yes. But the thing is, when these characters were at the height of their popularity, right? We're talking the 70s, we're talking the 80s. There was a point to being sexy and titillating, which was mainly that if you were looking for that kind of pure material, you really had to go searching for it. I mean, sexually explicit material back then was much more tightly controlled. Today, you know, you have the internet, and this is something that the internet generation will never understand, because these days, if you want to see naked women or naked men, whichever way the wind blows, it's all online, right? It's everywhere. You can stumble onto nudity by accident online these days. 
Unfortunately. So, well, unfortunately, not unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast, right? That is what it is. Now, so what's the point of titillation, then? Also, I think maybe Dynamite finally understood that if people want to read that, they have Xenoscape. I mean, Xenoscape is still a the, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now, this is, so I assume, metal. a sequel of some sort to their Swords of Sorrow crossover, which was all of Dynamite's female characters, not just these three, but... The opposite. Of, <laughs> I'm sorry. The opposite. Uh, jungle, like like, jungle girl and uh, Miss Fury, I guess. Miss Fury, uh, the one who opposed Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Irene book. Adler. Yeah, the Irene Adler. The book. Irene Adler has a book of dynamite. Well, she had a miniseries. I I'm think. terrified. And one of the tenets of this crossover was that all the female characters written and drawn only by female creators. Okay. Now, I've read some of it. It wasn't great or anything. That's but not a guarantee bad. of any. Yeah, yeah. But it but, does make an important point. Yes, yeah, so Dynamite basically said, well, we're not getting into the, you know, 13-year-old look boobies audience, so let's try something else, which mm -hmm. is smart. Will yeah. they succeed? We don't know. Time will tell, but I do have to say, toning down the cheesecake when that's all that these characters were really known for, seems like a risky move, but I looked at the redesigns themselves. I mean, have you seen these characters? They look amazing. Um, yeah, it's not Vampirella like... Vampirella has, like, this vampire hunter no, get-up with a phoenix. Let's, let, yeah, let's not mince word. It's not like they're covered head-to-toe with... No! Oh, it's... The, Deja Thoris has yeah. this whole, like, halter top... Yeah, it's less sexual. It's not... Unsexual. It's different sexual. Yeah, yeah. It's more... It's not so over the top. It, I think what it does is, you know, if you want to present these characters as being credible in any way... I mean, who... You're telling me Grant Morrison wrote Vampirella. I mean, look at Vampirella and tell me how anyone could ever take her seriously. She wears, like, these suspenders that cover her boobs and a thong. And, like, she fights crime or something. I, what am I supposed to do with that, right? She's a vampire from, from the planet Draculina. Nobody's supposed to take I'm, her seriously. Exactly. But on the other hand, there's just no room for that kind yeah. of, like, uh, uh, very funny. So, I'm saying this now. Like, I'm looking at these designs. I'm looking at these creative teams. Come January 2016, I do want to see these books. Maybe we'll review them. Some I of them. Speaking of things that are very funny. Mm -hmm. So, there's a new creative team on Spawn. Okay. <laughs> Who's no. doing it now? Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, there have been some good creators working on Spawn. Like Not these ones. Uh, David Hine or... It's the team-up of Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson. Who's writing and who's drawing? Well, that's the thing. Here's a quote from Todd McFarlane. It's going to be sort of a tag team. We're going to co-plot. We're going to co-write. He's going to do the early rough laydowns. I'm going to do a little bit of inking. He's going to do a little bit of inking. I'll do some penciling on top of his inking. And we're just going to do this hodgepodge that at the end you're going to go, Who wrote that? I don't know. Do you remember, Eric? There's no way this plan could go wrong, Tom. A hodgepodge. That's hodgepodge. That's a good way to promote your work. It's Is that not spawn in a nutshell, though? Tell me, wait, all these artists working together, wasn't that the whole idea behind Image United? <laughs> Where is issue three of Image United now, five years late? No, you're asking the wrong question. It's not where is Image United number three, is what is in Image United number three that we have been waiting five years to find yeah. out? A hodgepodge. I'm on pins and needles. Well, a hodgepodge, obviously. A hodgepodge. Delicious. Uh, okay, IDW have announced some news that will make you... And by you, the Sean Rowdy means me. Yes. Very happy. Uh, they've acquired Rome Space Knight and the Micronauts. Two separate franchises that taste great together. 
And the creative teams have been announced as Colin Bunn and David Beldon for Micronauts, and Chris Rael and Christos Gage for ROM. Yeah, and uh, with art by David Messina, Messina and Paolo Villanelli. That's a lot of people for just one space knight. Tom, who is ROM? ROM is a space knight. ROM is a toy. What do he say? <laughs> ROM is a toy that was created in the mid-70s, and like many toys at the time, Marvel bought the rights to publish a comic that was given to Bill Mantlo. Now, nobody bought the toy because it was a toy line of one toy that was very boring and very bad. Bill Mantelo spun 70-odd issues out of that, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't say they're classic, but they're one of these lost love for people of the right age and time. You know? They're very 70s. Yeah, it's, mean, it's the kind of people who keep banging on and on about Parman and Iron Fist. 70s mm-hmm. Parman and Iron Fist. Is, they, it, is it like that? Well, yeah, because it's 70s Marvel, and it's Bill Mantelo who was... Crazy in the good kind of way. Yeah, I remember like they crossed over with X Men at some point, and that was just a really weird thing. Well, remember Cybertooth first dotted in Iron Fist. No, no, I was I'm talking about Rom's. Oh yeah, well, Rom crossed over with anyone. Yeah, and so it's interesting. IDW again. Well, the concept the the concept of Rom is actually kind of interesting because the idea was that he comes to Earth to hunt his alien enemies and diaries. Yeah. That appear to everybody as normal people, except him, because he has, you know, he's a robot and he's got scanners. So it's like that movie Day Live, mm-hmm. where you have to wear the glasses and you, but everybody thinks he's a murdering maniac, you know, like, oh my god, that robot is killing people left and right. Right. And only he knows the truth. So that, it, it could work. It could, especially with this creative. Now, as for the Micronauts, Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I'm, it's Christos Gage and Chris Ryle writing. Well, yeah, yeah, Christos Gage is good. I'm not big on Colin Bunn, I have to admit. Mm. Because Colin Bunn is writes everything. Basically, everything and anything. He's stretched a bit thin at the he's, moment. He's always stretched thin. Although, a lot and of his ne- books were cancelled after Secret Wars, weren't they? He's no, but he's not just anymore. doing Marvel. He's doing... I think he has, like, three series for only and alone because he has Sixth Gun and mm-hmm. T-Rex and something else that I don't Lobo was cancelled. Yeah. Now, none of his stuff is bad, but it's all very workmanlike. It's just, yeah. you know, what professional. Was, what was the name of that Vertigo series that he did? That, like, after the first issue Wolf came Moon, out... Wolf Moon... That's blood, the one. Blood Moon, Wolf Blood... Blood Wolf Blood... blood. <laughs> I don't know. Werewolf by Blood Nobody Moon Nobody talks about it. Nobody says I think it was completed. It was a miniseries. But it didn't make yeah. any kind of impression on Well, like movie. many Vertigo stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Dark Horse. You're happy about this one, so oh, this is yes. for you. So, Dark Horse announced that Faith Aaron Hicks and Yixian Lee will be doing a graphic novel for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, focusing on high school adventures. The reason I find this intriguing is because one of Hicks's earliest works was a webcomic called Demonology 101. I think it's still available online and for free, so by all means go and read it. It had its rough moments, but you could absolutely see the way in which she was using Buffy as sort of a, an inspiration for the dynamics between the characters and the world building and everything that happened with the protagonist. It was a really decent read. And now she gets to write the actual Buffy. Well, truth be told, That's a story. truth be told, I'm pretty much off Buffy since season three, I think. That's the right time to stop. Yeah. And, you know, Faith Phoenix, always good. I have no idea who the, the artist is. Uh, Yishan Lee, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's it's interesting the journey here that you take, like, from being a fan of something 
to actually writing an original graphic novel of that character. Like, that's the sort of thing that doesn't happen so very often. So you're saying often. by 2016, I will be writing Rom Space Knight. Mm, you could do worse. Well, they, no. they in could... 2016, you're going to they... be writing Transformers versus. <laughs> that's they, they couldn't do worse. <laughs> uh, also, from Dark, Dark Horse did not have all the good news, unfortunately. Well, because... they have. It's strange because Dark Horse is now publishing Avatar. No, 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 not that Avatar. The one with the you blue, may be asking with the blue arrow on his head. You may be asking, what does James Cameron have to do with Avatar: The Last Airbender? No, 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 no. He's referring. To the movie, alternately known as Dances with Thundercats, The Last Mohican Smurf, and Pocahontas in Space. Yes, so Dark Horse bought the rights for that Avatar. That, not they, confusing at and all. And they will publish comics about it. And, well, it could have been worse, because imagine if Avatar Press had bought the right for both of these comics. A, it would have been hilarious. Because I'm pretty sure the internet already like imagines what the cat people look like naked. No, 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 no. Naked Avatar Press. Bloody. Mm. I would love to see them bloody. You know, I would be happy to read uh, well, an Avatar Press comic in which human marines come back to the planet and kill every one of these cat people because they annoyed me. Wait, you're siding with the space marines? I mean, that's in the that, side that Sam Worthington was on. No, because he turned t- tail and, tr- and was a traitor. Literally turned tail in some <laughs> Yes. Case. But doesn't he go back in the end? No, no. Oh, he, he sta- stays? Yeah, yeah, he helps. So what happens to his physical body? Um, he moves on to a better body, a blue cat body. No, but I mean, what happens to his original body? Decomposed, I don't know. Ew. It was a terrible movie. Much like Sam Woodington's career. Just decomposes away. Yeah. Very weird choice. Well... Avatar comics. Also, are they going to do an Avatar-Avatar crossover? No, that's not a Dark Horse thing. If it, if it would have been IDW, then yes. <laughs> IDW couldn't say... Haven't met a crossover they didn't like. So we're kind of lucky that it didn't end up with IDW. I'm not going to be reading James okay. Cameron's Avatar comics, especially no. since he, what he said was that these are actually setting up the next Avatar movie. No, thank you. I have no. enough with the first one. Um, Greg Capullo has announced that he's be taking a very short break from Batman after issue 51, which is fine. So far, so good. To do a... A uh, personal project, Still not okay. work for hire project. Still okay. With one writer named Mark Millar. <sighs> Mark Millar keeps getting the best artist in the biz. He's a nice guy, he, and I'm sure that he takes them out for drinks afterwards and drinks them under the table. <clears throat> now they haven't said anything about what this project is, but no. I know well, that fans of the Snyder Capullo Batman run are not pleased. No. Now Millar has has a lot of plates spinning right now. We're, we're talking about Colin Bond, we're talking about Charles Soleil, but Millar is also producing tons and tons of comics all the time. He is. None, none of them any good. You would think that by accident he might accidentally... He might Star- actually Starlight was good. okay. No, it wasn't. But... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, he... I talk about this so many times with Mark Miller because it just sort of like gets under my skin, but his like... He's a lot like Bendis in the sense that you know how Bendis has like the one trick, right? He has that one thing that he does and he does it constantly. And after the first dozen tries, he's like, oh, look, here's the playing card up his sleeve. Is this your card? Is this your card? You get it. Miller's the same way. Somebody's going to get raped. It's going to be gross as hell. It's going to be really, really disgusting. And just sort of the thing was like, are you sure you meant to do that in so cavalier a way? The main character is going to be a complete and total asshole. And just, you're going to get to the end of the story feeling like an idiot. 
Yep. Wanted literally ended but, with him being like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that line. Yeah. Screw, but you know the line that I'm yeah, thinking of. Yeah, screw you, audience. Exactly. So, now, but, but, it would look very pretty. It, it would be, look very it pretty. It would be a pretty, pretty comic. Capullo is an excellent artist. I just wish that in this particular case, he were being paired with a writer. Because the thing with Capullo and Snyder and the reason that their run is going so well right now is because these are two artists whose strengths appeal to each other and work together very well. Capullo's a great artist. Snyder is giving him the material for him to really reach, like, a different artistic level. What's Miller going to ask him to do? Here, take this shot of, like, him bending the girl over the table. Now, if you could just, like, do a close-up on her face and the tears in her eyes, and maybe have, like, seven penises instead of one. That was chosen. Don't look at me like that. He actually wrote that, okay? And and maybe, like... remind me and the listeners. Chosen... No, I do need to remind you that Chosen happened because... He's still... This is not an artist who has ever evolved beyond... I'm talking about Miller, not... The writer, yes. This is not someone who has ever evolved beyond his original shtick. So, expect... Like, I don't know what the script... I'm just imagining Capullo, like, getting the script and being like, what the hell did I sign up for? Well, see, it's good because Capullo is known to ignore scripts if he doesn't like them. And just throw what he wants. Do it. Uh, Marvel have announced yet another crossover called Standoff. Oh, God. Now, in their scale, it's pretty small. It's just... Uh, Captain America, mm-hmm. uh, New Avengers, all new, all new di- Avengers. Yes, all new, all different Avengers and Agents of Shield. Oh, that one. Too. Okay, all right. How do you diffuse between? It's like all new Avengers, all new, all different Avengers, and New Avengers. They're, these are all titles. Hang on, is this the same crossover as Civil War Two that they announced? No, these it's are not. different events that are happening. Yes, it's called okay. Standoff and. It appears to be something, one of those small town with a dark secret kind of thing. In which heroes fight each other again. Well, not necessarily fight each other. No, the promo art had them. Well, the promo art was the promo art. So, no, 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 no. I am done. I really am. I know that it was foolish of me to think that after Secret Wars, things would be different on any level. I know that it was dumb of me to have that, like, tiny bit of optimism that said maybe they had had enough. Another crossover? Secret Wars 9 isn't even out yet. Another crossover. Not only am I, like, not going anywhere near this, but you're saying it's signing into New Avengers. God damn it, I wanted to read New Avengers. Poor, poor L. I am cutting any book that ties into an event. I'm making this commitment now, like, on the record. Any Marvel book that ties into any event for the next year, I'm dropping it off my pull list sight unseen, because I can't do it anymore. I really can't. I respect that Marvel, at the very least, structure their crossovers in such a way that, theoretically speaking, you don't need to read the main event. It's just sort of this thing that intrudes, and then you move on. There's a parallel that I do not want to make, and I'm not going to, but you know what I'm thinking of. Um, fine. But I'm, I'm just sick of it. I really, really am. One of the first things that they said was that they were going to do Civil War II, and I'm like, ugh. This was the one that Alonzo was talking well, about. It was a for people who had blackberries, you know, have some more meat. Well, we're not sure. Maybe he was talking about this one. That makes it even worse because this was. So this is the event that everyone should sympathize with if you have. Well, it's if you a, watch TV or have yeah, an iPhone. It's written by Nick Spencer, who, for all of his scenes, <laughs> not for all of his scenes, when he's doing Marvel work, he's he's a lot better. He's one of those rare writers that actually thrives under the Marvel editorial team, and when he's given completely free reign, tends to 
you know, run off the cliff? Yes, but so far the problem has been that he has never actually written an event. Most of the yeah. work that he has done for Marvel were ancillary titles that didn't have any kind of larger spill-on effect. Yeah, it was but, what, but Ant-Man and... and Superior uh, Foes of Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And they were These great. Were crossovers. Yeah, and they were great. Now hopefully he can... Now asking, like... Be the central architect of a line-wide yeah, event. Yeah, but it's not a line-wide. It's just five titles. It's smaller scale, which... Mm. I'm just I, tired. I'm not I'm for tired. it, but I'm not automatically against it. I meant to, but how can you not be exhausted at this point? Because I'm I'm not. I, I don't know what to tell it's you. It's just... I mean, you're really going to... Are you going to read it? I'm going to give the first issue a shot. I, I can't. I'm sorry. Okay. I just, I, any book that touches this stuff, and I, you know, New Avengers, I read the first issue, I was lukewarm, but sort of like, I see what he's doing, and it could be interesting, and now you're telling me it's going to Okay. Now, now movie news. <sighs> okay. Hollywood have announced, Hollywood has announced, like, it's an entity. Uh, there are rumors running about that there's going to be a live-action American adaptation of the anime slash manga, or just anime? No idea. I, I, think, I think it's just anime. Tiger and Bunny. Thou shalt not. Sean, no. what is Tiger no. and Bunny about? Okay. Tell the... Tiger and Bunny is one of the few Japanese anime that makes sense. I'm watching it and I just had a really... Okay. I'll, Tell I'll, them what it's about. It. The plot. The plot is Liberty City is... I hope... Is it Liberty City in the translation? Never mind. The main city... New York! Whatever the yes. city of Tiger and Bunny is... Sort of an everyday metropolis, although it's designed to be amazing. Yeah. And there are superheroes. Yes. The twist is that these superheroes are all corporate sponsored and participate in a reality TV show called Hero TV, in which they run around uh, fighting bad guys, stopping crimes, doing all these things, and gaining points based on their style, their interactivity with the, their fans. Um, one of the superheroes has a singing contract, and she gets the titular character to sort of be her backup dancers at one point. It's really funny. And in this scenario, you have Tiger, who is the veteran of the group, has been a hero for a couple of years. He has a certain... They all have their own individual powers. And he is partnered up with Barnaby, who he calls Bunny just to piss him off, because of course he does, who has the exact same powers as Tiger, but is sort of this young, driven, ambitious... Yeah, and kind of cynical to the whole superhero game. And of course... Tiger, Tiger, yeah, Tiger is kind of an idealist within the context. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a superhero to help people. Yeah, it, and it, it, it really is sort of uh, a meta take on... Silver Age versus Dark Age. Yeah. Like, Kotetsu, yeah. who's it's, Tiger, it's... he's the Silver Age hero, right? Yeah. He has a daughter who adores him. He wants to do good. He genuinely wants to help people. Barnaby has, like, the dark past and the murdered parents. And, like, it's Batman to Superman, basically. Grant Morrison to Mark Miller. Why do you always have to go to Grant Morrison? I, I mean... like Grant. Now, <laughs> it's rare because it's one of those... It's one Grant of Morrison, those... but comprehensive. Yeah. It's one of the rare animes that is basically... It's based on a very Western concept, yeah. because there are Japanese superheroes, but they're very different. It's one of those Tatsunoko things that we think about. They're more like Power Rangers, usually. Mm-hmm. And this is very much American-influenced superheroes with... Oh, yeah. With Especially twist. with the, the reality TV yeah. show. You anger. can almost... If, if somebody just told you the concept straight ahead, straight ahead, you could imagine it as a Vertigo comic circa 
the early 90s or an Image Comics in the mid-2000s. See, I think Vertigo would take it to a more cynical place. Yeah. The thing that like I, I said, really early enjoyed... 90s. Yeah, the, the thing that I really enjoyed about... No, even early 90s Vertigo mm. was very cynical and dark. Yes. Well, the yeah. The thing that I really enjoy about Tiger and Bunny is that for all that towards the end of the season, because there's only been one season so far, for all that it ultimately goes to some very dark places... Overall, it's a really fun show. Like, this is a show that makes superheroes fun. And I know that it seems self-evident, right? Like, of course superheroes are fun, but not really when you think about it. One of the reasons I'm still a huge fan of The Flash on the CW is because it's fun. And we don't have enough fun. And I'm gonna, this is gonna no. get me in trouble admitting this, but I saw the English dub, not the Japanese uh, voiceover, and there was just an amazing voice cast. And a great story. It's one of those stories, uh, um, you know how certain anime have this thing where it's a constant structure of escalation? Yes. So the heroes get one thing and then the villain gets another head and then they go ahead and it, it's like this Jenga tower that keeps building up until it all ultimately explodes. That's what this was. And I was watching it and I just really, well, really okay. enjoyed it. Okay, I'm not a big fan. You're... You don't like the idea because you like the show. I think it could work as a Western adaptation simply because it's already a Western, quote-unquote, concept. Mm -hmm. It's Akira, for example, the the rumor adaptation, would try to translate something very, very Japanese into an American idea. And, you know, it's called Akira. (laughs) <laughs> and and it's it's not called Akira because Akira is some strange or mystical name. It's because it's a very, you know, regular name. So the American equivalent would be calling that movie Bob or something. <laughs> so you know Bob. But Bob. Everybody would. Well, who would Tetsuo be then? Like mm-hmm. Norman. Norman. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, but I, I'll, I'll say so, this. Though. So I can see it. Give it to someone creative. Like, for someone who wanted to do superheroes but isn't allowed to, like, say, Edgar Wright, he would make marvels out of this, yes. No. Marvel. See see what I did there? I see what you did there, and that was good. Thank you. I, okay, so I have two objections to this, really. Like, there's the general principle, and then there's the the phobia. The phobia being that you know they're going to cast, like, Tom Cruise as Kotetsu, and I don't have patience for that. Because Hollywood being Hollywood, they're, they're going to go with the big names. And I just don't. My blood pressure cannot handle Well, you assume it. it's going to be right. a huge giant adaptation. Most anime adaptations... It's combining superheroes and reality TV. Anybody that has, like, two brain cells to rub together, which I know is rare in Hollywood, is well, going to be like, this is going to be the huge thing. Oh, really? You remember the Dragon Ball Z adaptation? The Dragon Ball Z adaptation? With the Listen, huge names, like how, that guy talking, who was in... No, 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 no. But Ghost in the Shell... Has Scarlett Johansson. Ghost in the Shell has Cowboy thousands? Bebop. For years there have been rumors about a Cowboy Bebop adaptation starring Keanu Reeves as Spike Spiegel. What? For what? Why? Well, but it hasn't happened. And it hasn't it, happened yet. And neither had the Ghost in the Shell. No, Ghost in the Shell was filming. What? And Scarlett Johansson was cast. And it's like, it is sort of whitewashing by default. Now, granted that these narratives may have more Western Well, overtones. Spike Spiegel is white, isn't he? He's not Japanese. Is anybody white on that show? In Cowboy Bebop? No, Spike Spiegel with a name like that is not Japanese. He, he's Jewish. But that's not Jewish. his real name. He's got a Jufro. But that's not his real name. I, I always assumed Spike was just... Was it? I I need to rewatch that show. If there was ever... I mean, listen, you're telling me I need to rewatch Cowboy Bebop yeah. to refresh my memory. No problem. I'll do it happily. That's your lesson the for other... next, uh, next episode. Come yeah. back to me and That's report. my homework. 
The other problem that I'm having here, and this is really sort of a thing that we've seen with a lot of animated to live action adaptations specifically, mm-hmm. is that nine times out of ten, there's no point to it. Either you try to replicate the style so closely that you might as well have just stuck with the anime. Like, for example, Death Note. I don't know if you've seen the mm-hmm. recent live adaptation of Death Note. But nope. it's sort of like they they took the cues very, very similarly. They do a few things differently, but not enough to justify See, I it. I can't stand Death Note in any Neither can way I. whatsoever. No, so. I, I, I got over it very, very quickly. People Cute. talking and talking and talking. Cute idea. Talking and talking and talking and talking. No, the, t- the talking is fine. Like, the, con- the concept is fine, but at some point it's just sort of like, eh. Anyway, but Tiger and Bunny, you know, this could also end up being something like M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar The Last Airbender, where not only are you compressing an entire intricate and complicated storyline, because the plot of Tiger and Bunny is really good. It's one of those complex, intricate things where you have this foreshadowing in the first episode and it comes in in the 20th, and all of these things working together. And if you squeeze that down into an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half tops, right? You mm-hmm. you just can't do it, and there's no point to it. Like, What could a live-action Tiger and Bunny, and again, like keeping in mind that this is superheroes, right? What could a live-action version give you that an animated series that doesn't have to worry about, you know, like suspending your stuntmen 500 feet above the ground (laughs) to simulate flying or green screen or all that, what can that give you Mm. that you can't already get? Now, before we move on to other movie news, because we've talked about Western adaptation of... Speaking of anime. ...of uh, Japanese stuff... What have we got? Almost forgot about it when you talked about it. Attack on Titan, the very popular, <sighs> the very popular manga series. I think it's the most popular manga series on the market right now, which For is not one that piece. Escaped me. Yeah, it's getting a Western comic anthology tribute. Okay. Okay, with creators like Greg Capullo. Oh. <laughs> Kate Lepp. Hello. Faith Fairy again. Faith Fairy Nix oh again. God. And the Hanukkah Brothers. No way! Yes, yes, yes. So, first of all, shout out to the homeboys. Yes. Congratulations. It's... Okay, but see, this is a thing where this kind of thing makes sense, right? Yeah, it's the a collection of short stories. The reason it makes sense is because, again, like, it has to do with the medium. If you're moving from animation to comics, yes, you lose the sound, you lose the, the kinetics, but in terms of artistic representation, you can still do things that are... I mean, Attack on Titan requires... I think there is a live-action Attack on Titan in the works somewhere. It's already out. There is oh, a two-part movie. So, okay. For what? Right? Because then it means... Okay, so you took a bunch of actors, you painted them, or like you just told them to get naked, and you... What did you do? Green screen them to be giants? Or did they just stand like in the Hobbit? With, like, I don't the know. Tiny perspective. And for what? Right? Because yeah. the... The animated series, the original anime, already does what needs to be done, right? There's nothing that can be added to it by going live action. On the other Comics, hand, sure. that Tomer Hanukkah art looks beautiful. Well, they're they're very good artists. Yeah. I, I applaud them getting their due. Um, I just don't see the point okay. with Tiger and Bunny, and I'm not interested. Movies. There's, keeping with the movie news, there's been a minor shift in Marvel's movie schedule again. So Black Panther has been moved up. Good news. Moved up like... Closer to us. Yes, okay. earlier. And, ca- unfortunately, Captain Marvel has been pushed back. Again. To make room for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is a series, a sequel to this year's Victories from the Jaw of Defeat, I think we can yes. call it. Success story, Ant-Man. Um, That's weird. It's, 
It, was Endgame that successful? Because apparently so. It, well, it it was Marvel's second least successful movie. But the fact that they're calling it Ant Man and the Wasp leads me to suspect that this is in some way a response to the ongoing criticism of the Marvel Cinematic Universe regarding their. In that characters. case, why bump off Captain Marvel again after the Spider Man thing? Well, this is a situation where like you're delaying Captain Marvel, but you're putting the Wasp in before her. So I I don't think so. I think it's just. Marvel realizing what works <clears throat> and what doesn't work. And Captain Marvel is still not a sure thing. And this year basically showed us that Ant-Man, even with all the problems, is something that works. So mm-hmm. they're saying, well, it already works. The sequel will do better. Because mm-hmm. Marvel sequels up until now, except Avengers 2, has always been better received yeah. and got more money than the first one. So it why not? It has to be said that when I look at the schedule for the films, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Captain Marvel, in the current configuration, Captain Marvel comes after Avengers Infinity War 1. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if these are the, if the Infinity War movies are the ones that <clears throat> wrap up the whole three-phase storyline, right, and it's supposed to be everybody versus Thanos, basically, why would you introduce your first solo female superhero, and supposedly the most powerful one in the bunch, right? Because we're talking about Captain Marvel versus Ant-Man in terms of superpowers. Carol wins. Why would you put her after Infinity War? We that... don't... Well, we don't know. Nobody's, nobody's been cast yet. You know, rumors are running around every Monday. It's Emily Blunt. It's it Ronda... should be Emily Blunt, it's but Ron... I don't think she wants it's it. It's Ronda Rousey. It's no, whoever. No, we don't need... It's your, it's your girl, Katie Sackhoff. People. People. Just because a blonde lady is tough and knows how to kick ass does not mean that she needs to be Carol Danvers. Doesn't mean. You know, Ronda Rousey, I'm never going to say anything bad about her because she could pop my head like the cap of a a Coke bottle. So I'm not even going to say she's, you know, she is amazing. But she doesn't need to be Carol Danvers. We don't need that. Well, she, she wants to be. Well, of course she does. And again, if she can beat you, she can beat Kevin Feige, if needs be. Oh, she could beat the crap out of him. Just like, give me that job. Okay, fine, you'll, you can have it. Just don't hurt me anymore. Okay. Um, she, no, she... Well, we don't know. She never had a chance. She was, what, in Expendables 3 and in uh, Fast and Furious 6. My understanding was that she was the best thing about Expendables 3, but I did not go see that movie, well, so I can't comment. It was the least bad Expendable movie. Okay. Um... So, well, they need to cast her. They need to cast Iron Fist. Basically, there's a lot of... All of these future expectations, I really think... And we sort of brought this up when we were talking about Phase 3 a while back. Marvel have sort of painted themselves into a corner at this point. Like, I understand the impulse on the one hand to show everyone that they have a plan and that they know where they're going and this isn't going to be another, like, um... DC attempt at a superhero universe that begins with Green Lantern, except no, it doesn't. Now it begins. Yeah, but once you say something is going to happen at a certain date, and then you keep on moving it, you appear to be, you know. No, I I know that they're going to do it. It's it's like the existence of a Captain Marvel film is not in doubt, right? It's going to happen because there's nothing that could dissuade them. It's not like, for example, if Black Panther appears in Civil War. And for some reason, people are just like, hell no, we hate it, whatever. Then maybe Black Panther's in danger. But as far as I know, Carol isn't appearing anywhere else first. So there's no... Yeah. Right? It's it's like if Ant-Man had appeared in a previous movie and reception had been negative, much like The Incredible Hulk, he wouldn't have gotten a solo movie. 
there is some sort of you know call and response going on here but the problem is that every time they change their plans and it's for things that are not necessarily like who really needed another spider-man movie who for what why would you push well see Black I, Panther again, back for spider-man we keep coming on to stuff i don't like in this program <laughs> because i didn't like any of the spider-man movies neither did i any no, of I them i the first one has its charm by virtue of well, being the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, well, okay, it has its charm at the time, but nowadays none of them work. None of them are good or interesting or fun or funny or exciting or anything, and I would kill for a decent Spider-Man movie. Which we might get, <clears throat> like that could be the Marvel movie that they're working on, right? The whole reason that Spider-Man fans were ecstatic when they announced the deal was because... They had always viewed Sony as being responsible for why the Spider-Man movies stopped. I don't agree Andrew because Garfield talked about yeah, how but I didn't like. I said I didn't even like the original trilogy, which was before Sony. There's no, there's no nostalgia here. I don't think that yeah. there's any nostalgia on the part of Spider-Man fans specifically because Raimi's first movie was good in the sense of it's like when you watch X-Men Two, it's good enough. For the standard that no. existed at the time, X X Men and it 2, holds up. No, because X Men Two works, I think, in its own terms, which is it doesn't want to be a superhero movie; it wants to be a science fiction movie with a general idea. Spider Man wants to be a superhero movie and doesn't work because we weren't there at the time in terms of public reception being ready for you know the super colorful stuff and special effects. You know, Spider Man One aged horribly. Two still works. One aged horribly. Has it? Uh, Look, I know that the Green Goblin looked ridiculous. He looked like a Power Rangers villain. But I'm thinking here, like, in terms of the cast, Tobey Maguire was not as awful as he would be in later films, right? Not so much with the screaming and the red face and the memes and the John Travolta dancing and all of that. So he was sort of okay. And then you had, you know, Kristen Dunst was okay. James Franco was okay. I mean, we got the best Jonah Jameson I've ever seen in my entire life. Yes, yes, yes. And it's sort of like, in that context, it was... Um, it's the sort of movie that you wouldn't go back and see again. But see, now I think if you can edit the original trilogy into a J. Jonah Jameson movie, I would oh watch my it. God. I would watch that. I would bet you that if you go on YouTube, you could probably find like, the yeah, J. Jonah the Jameson, Jameson cut of the Spider-Man trilogy. So, the best cut. Again, like there were some good decisions made with the first Raimi film that I think, if you really look at it on its own, it could. So it's not going to be anybody's hit, but it's sort of like fine. Everything that came after that was just... A mess from top to bottom. Andrew Garfield has gone on record saying that, like, you know, this is an actor who really wanted to be Spider-Man. Did you see that video of him in Hall H a couple of years back? No. Before, like, when they officially announced that he would be cast as Spider-Man, the first Comic-Con after that, he went to Hall H dressed as Spider-Man, and he gets up on the mic with the mask, right? And he, as an audience question, and he's like... This means so much to me. I can't believe I'm here at Comic-Con with all of you. And you can see that he's really excited. Then he pulls the mask off and it's Andrew Garfield and the crowd goes wild. And it's, you know, this was someone that was really, really enthusiastic. And when you, when you hear him talk about it today, it's like Sony sucked all the joy out of it because as Sony those, does. those Mark Webb movies were apparently as horrible for the people playing it as it was for the audience watching it. Okay. <laughs> like no. just crap. So I understand why... Well, why can't we have a good Spider-Man movie, right? But on the other hand, why does that have to come at the expense of Black Panther, Captain Marvel? These are characters that people want to see. These are It's the new blood that Marvel 
at least in the cinematic universe, really needs. And if Tahisi Coates, Coates, and if Tanahisi Coates Black Panther really turns out to be a success, they want a film that can parallel that release. Hopefully. So stop messing with the timeline. Okay, let's finish with the odd, odd stuff that's been happening right now. Basically, before we recorded, all sorts of strange TV. It's and like they knew we were coming, and they were waiting. Well, it's like, better that Sean and Tom recording. Send out the news. Okay, so. so a trilogy of strange decisions, and I want to sort of take it one by one. So FX have announced that they're moving forward with adapting Why the Last Man. That feels like a really bad idea. I love Why the Last Man, one of my favorite Vertigo series, but I'm thinking, again, they're clearly hoping that it's going to be AMC's The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. like that level of, of adaptation, and if they do that, I mean... The Walking Man. He walks. And the he's Walking a Man. man. Yeah. With a monkey. With a monkey. Forgot the monkey. Um, what do you think about this? Like, I, I think Why the Last Man has always felt very televisual to me, so I have no problem with that. Will it add something? I don't know. I, I, I'm willing to give it a shot. I guess, hypothetically, I can see it working maybe as sort of like a five-season thing. Because Why the Last Man went on for, what, ten trades? Yeah, six species. Okay, that I can understand. Not to be undone, they then announced that Fargo showrunner Noah Hawley would be writing and producing Legion, a series based on the son of Charles Xavier from the X-Men. Say what? Oh, yeah. Say what? Say who? Because Legion has multiple personalities. That's interesting. Okay. All the X characters with their own TV show. Not, <laughs> not say... All the solo characters like, you could have picked. No, no, like, not like young Nazi hunting Magneto, which would have been a good TV show. Not like uh, Old Man Logan in the West show. <laughs> not not even, I don't know, Legion. Iceman and Beast funning it up in college. I don't know. Legion. Legion. That's 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 such a strange, is, okay. that's such a strange choice that I have to assume they have a great original idea because otherwise why would you choose Legion? Okay. Those listeners who are interested in learning a bit more about why this is a horrible, horrible choice of character should go to Rachel's and Miles Rachel and Miles explain the X Men where they really break down the whole mess. There was of... woo! Yeah, but that was the old one. There was a recent Legion series. It was called X Men Legacy. I think it was Sysbury. Sysbury writing, and it got some good reviews. I think that well, from House to Astonish, not on the podcast, on his review page, he said, "Yeah, it's such a strange Marvel comic that it sort of become good by default because it's." You don't know what you're going to get every single issue. That was one of the rare instances where I disagree with Paul O'Brien, because what happened was that in order to make Legion a viable protagonist, and in order for that version of X-Men Legacy to be as good as it was, Spurrier basically wrote a different character and called him Legion. It was one of which, those situations. Which might be what they will do on the TV show. May, well, because presumably it's still the son of Charles Xavier, right? Well, so yeah, but iZombie is technically... weird? But iZombie is technically, you know, an adaptation of iZombie only being a completely different in execution style. No, no, no. They have said... I mean, the, the press release specifically says this is David Haller, right? This is the son of Charles Xavier and Gabriel Haller. Doing what? This is a character who's shtick is that he has multiple personalities and every personality has a different power for the Grant Morrison and Klein yeah, like Crazy, Crazy Jane. Jane although Legion came first yes so that Crazy Jane was, was better so that mm-mm. well uh, uh, we'll uh, talk about uh, that war later we'll, we'll talk about it another time now 
This is two series from FX, right? I don't know what will go on over there. Fox decided, well, if they're doing it, so should we. They announced that Evan Katz and Manny Cotto, these are the producers of 24, will be helming a Hellfire Club series based on the version seen in the film X-Men First Class. The version which included three characters. Uh, <laughs> two, of two of which them. are dead. Yes. <laughs> I don't. And one of them wasn't seen after the first movie. Who? Uh, Emma Frost disappeared, right? No, she died. No, she they survived. Killed they, no, they killed her off screen. Oh, see, and yeah, so none and of them survived. Um, none of them survived. Yeah. Why? It's not the Hellfire Club. Now, the original Hellfire Club was based, and I say based, I, I mean stolen wholeheartedly <laughs> from the Avengers, the British TV show, not the American film. Yeah. So why pay money to the guy? Be- because the Hellfire Club as a name, I assume, is open for anybody who wants to use it. Because Chris, Chris Claremont surely didn't feel anything about stealing the name and the concept. Yeah. So you can just do it. Why? You, they basically pay Marvel money to say, we're basing something from your product line. Or they pay... See, I'm not even there. I'm, I'm still stuck on the idea of like the Hellfire Club having an ongoing yeah. television series. No, because... because as a co- again, as a concept, a uh, super secret club of you know the botched villains. There's something there. You not can't, really because well, like, because TV like TV these days like the botched antiheroes. Yes. That you can you can say wow look at all these people going on the road to hell and at the same time oh look at all these cool naked people going on the road to hell. But in literally. that scenario, would it not have made more sense to choose the Brotherhood? The X-Men already have canonical villains no, because who are better the, established and, you know, the idea of a mutant terrorist group makes n- more sense no, than no. a bunch of mutant rich people. No, because a, they're st- in the U.S. they're still not ready for terrorists as heroes. That's um, still out of their way, especially with the producers of 24, you know, terrorist bad. And, but the Brotherhood has and been B, a thing. And B, uh, the Hellfire Club has, you know, mystique. Not the character. No, they don't. Not the character Mystique. The oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a problem when you talk about the X-Men. Oh, they have, you know, okay. Mystique and Cool and the, the whole Illuminati and Hitting Society ideas and the brothers just... It's Are they going to be still dressing up like Regency-era characters? Party, and I assume. With, like, the and uh, and I assume... And, you know, if you do a brother TV show, what? The Blob? Toad? No, it Avalanche. Would be, these like, are not sexy. Scarlet Witch. These are not sexy characters. You can't do uh, Scarlet Witch in that. They're taken by their movie counterparts. I don't know. No, Fox can have the Scarlet Witch. They just can't call her the so Scarlet I, Witch. So I can understand it as a concept. It's one of those. Why must it be related to the X Men? A few years, a few years back, there was a rumor that they they were planning to do a TV show based based on Werewolf by Night, and I remember shouting at the screen, "He's a werewolf at night." <laughs> Like all werewolves, why must you pay licensing fee for something being called Werewolf by Night? No, presumably the licensing fee in that case would be because they wanted to tie into the films. That would be the only reason I can think of. So if what, you, you, have, you have a werewolf guy called Jake Cross and says, well, when I saw Iron Man flying, oh, the ratings are up. Hang on, isn't Werewolf by Night... Uh... J. Jonah Jameson's son? No, that's Manwolf. That's Manwolf. Let, d- never, who's also known as Stargut. Too many wolves. Never too confuse many. Marvel's many werewolves. <laughs> Marvel's many open werewolves. A, open a petting zoo and get them. Yeah. So, I don't know. The, these are all, you know, sometimes when they announce television adaptations, 
something like Constantine makes sense, right? The Flash makes sense. Arrow makes sense. Vixen makes sense. Then they say something like Lucifer, and it's like, mm-mm, nope. That's not going to work. And then they announce the premise of Lucifer, and you're like, no. Yeah, again, Lucifer could have worked. They just chose How to could really it badly. I mean, because the story that he tells is so utterly bizarre and weird, even by Mike Carey's standards. Satan is very popular. He's been popular since Paradise Lost. People yeah, love Satan. But you remember what Carey did with him, right? Yeah, well, they would just use the general idea of, you know, Lucifer is his protagonist, Lucifer's then journey. That's the point. I don't know. If you're adapting material... Because right now, comic books are hot as TV properties. And but if they don't resemble the I, comics, how can they still... Like, because, because You have to have some kind no, of no, connection. No, it's, it's one of these things, which the culture, culturally is more important, not, not from the viewer's perspective, but from the board managers. Because once the idea has become that comic books are the thing, you want to announce anything that you want to adapt... Anything that you want to do as a TV show has to be based on a comic book. Uh, that movie with Tom Cruise a few two years back, Oblivion, mm. they basically had to produce a comic book, which nobody bought and nobody cared about, simply to say, look at this movie we're doing, a comic book adaptation. Snowpiercer was the same way. No, no, Snowpiercer was, was a comic, you know, well, we've seen comic before. But the thing is, nothing is produced nowadays unless you can tell the people who had the, ner- who had the network this thing will have a pre-existing audience because it's based on a comic book. And see, everybody likes comic books. And the but head of the network... logic makes sense. Because the head of the network does, can't tell Wolverine from Legion. No. You tell him they, these are X-Men characters and he sees dollar signs because, oh, the X-Men are popular. I'm doing an X-Men TV show. And you'll have to bring his 13-year-old nephew to explain to him, the, uh, no, no, uncle, network manager, whatever. Nobody likes Legion. Market research isn't a thing? Not for these I guys. Mean, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's the only explanation. The only explanation is... We'll see how these shows are. I mean, look. Lord knows we could use some more solid superhero TV. It would be nice because, you know, The Flash can't be doing all the heavy lifting on his own. And quite frankly, the first two episodes of season two have been a little... Huh? Although little, Tony huh? Todd is really good. You know, he always has been. So Tony Todd is always good. Yeah, yeah that, not surprise. But, but um, yeah, so we could use a little more of that. I just hope that it's not one of those things like Lucifer or Supergirl, where the pilot comes out and is like, "Oh, er, like your worst fears have been realized." But shall we'll we? Shall we move on to the reviews? Yeah, we're doing something special. Yeah, this usually we do free issues, free number ones, and a trade. But there have been so many issues. We've been spoiled for choice, so we've decided to enjoy ourselves. Yes. We're doing five number ones mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah, we're foregoing our usual main course review. Yes. And really diving, because it has been, the last two weeks have had a lot of new releases. And these five don't even represent the entirety. Like, there are more. We could have mm-hmm. done New Avengers. We could have done Spider-Man. We could have done a whole bunch of other stuff. But let's begin with... Uh, Doctor Strange number one, written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Chris Becklow, published, of course, by Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. This is the first ongoing Doctor Strange in eons, I believe, yeah. since the mid-70s or early 80s. Mm-hmm. He has made appearances. Yeah, the and there was the well-received Brian K. Vaughn miniseries, The Oath, which right. was great. But this is the first ongoing in a long, long time, and if anybody can do it, Jason Aaron can, because what right now, financially and critically... Whatever he touches, which is not a big crossover, turns into gold. Mm-hmm. 
So, what's the plot? Uh, Doctor Strange finds himself fighting odd sorts of magical infections that attack people randomly, and apparently all these minor supernatural threats, none of them is like Dormammu, end of the world thing, mm. are running away from the nether realms, from the odd world, from something called the coming slaughter. As you do, of course. which seeks to kill all sorts of magical beings. And also, at the same time, magic in the Marvel Universe now apparently works on the principle of equivalent exchange. I don't know, maybe Aaron has been, wa well, maybe Aaron has been watching Full Metal X Alchemist. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't need to do that. But, um, to, because, be, but to be fair, that idea is expressed by a character who is not entirely reliable. Yeah, so. but we're meant to assume that... It, strange go to the bar with no doors... Great name, mm -hmm. which is a place where you know magical practitioners meet and hang out. And one of the old drunks basically tells him, you know, magic costs something, and you, Strange, have been using magic all the time, and you haven't paid anything, and your payment will be due at any minute. Mm -hmm. So that's the plot. So okay. it's Doctor Strange as witch doctor, basically. Exactly. It's it's very it's very the first third of the issue is very influenced by Witch Doctor. I would be surprised if Aaron Brandon hasn't Sanford read it. Yeah, and combined with bits and pieces from his, from Aaron's own forerun, because the coming slaughter reminds me of nothing else but, but the God Butcher. Oh, well, what was his name? Gore. Gore. The... Well, he was the God Butcher. That's the name you should remember. Right. So, you know, God Butcher, coming slaughter, magical beings run away and are killed by something big and mysterious. Which is not very mysterious because by the end of the issue we have a short story. Which... Well, I, I want to say something yeah. about that, but okay. Can we say it without spoiling? Let's not spoil it, uh, but... Um, okay, so... Uh, there's a twist. There's a lot to like in this issue, but there's problems. And the biggest problem is the artist. <laughs> okay, now Chris Bacalo, Chris Bacalo can be a good artist. Can he? Can, can he really, Tom? He can. Can he? he can. When but, was he? Uh, uh, the early nineties. Keep going. That's it. Okay. No, no, uh, no, some of his acting stuff with Mike Carey were fu were fine and fun, but this is. Uh, uh, Chris Beckler trying to be avant-garde-ish and being very J.H. Williams-y with, you know, odd structures and, and stuff. Well, also and, the story calls for it. Yeah, but it just doesn't work. I have literally no idea what's happening on page two and three because it's like strange combat and odd perspective. Whose tentacle is this? Yes, yeah. Who? Does the lady the strange fighting has legs and long Medusa-like hair or is she? does she have a huge tail? Is she a serpent no, I woman? I she has, like, tentacles. It's not clear. Sometimes she has both, like she's a serpent with tentacles, or she has legs and their hair is tentacles, and their the surface is part of the world. God knows what's going on out there. It's a confused mess of a storytelling. Now the other issue, the other parts of the issue, when he when the first fight is over and he's back in the real world, that works. When he's low key, the uh, when the script doesn't call him for do, doesn't call upon the audience to do something very adventurous, it's fine. I always like Chris Becklow's design sense. He just can't make the action clear, and Aaron is apparently writing an all-action series, which would be a huge, huge problem if the if the following issues will ramp up the action. I had some mixed feelings about this issue. Yes? On the one hand, I will say that this is one of the better interpretations of Strange that I've seen. He's certainly a version under Aaron that compels you to want to keep reading. He's an interesting character, and he presents himself in such a way as well. But I can't help wondering if maybe Aaron cheated a little bit to get here. This is like sort of what we talked about before. Um, 
this version of Strange seems a lot younger. He seems a lot more brash. He says things like, I'd be lying like hell if I said I didn't love this. Um, as far as I can tell, this isn't a reboot or an origin story. He's still Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, we have the origin in like one page. Recapped in the first page based on the original art. There, Which I thought was great. It's, a, gr- it's a great little touch. But That's Ditko, right? Yeah, they're, they're just taking panels from the first Ditko issue mm-hmm. and reprinting them with added narration on top. Because, let's, fine. you know, the original narration is very Silver Agey. <laughs> just like paragraphs and, yes, paragraphs, paragraphs and paragraphs. But, so, it, it did sort of feel strange. <laughs> yes. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there. Uh, it did feel a bit odd to see Strange being written in such a way where... Even the artwork, when you look at how Bacalo draws him, right? There's no gray in his temples anymore. So he's, is he younger? Well, it's both Secret Wars. And the way that he, yeah, but nobody knows what that means because Secret Wars hasn't ended yet. And then, um, he has this banter with the woman who comes to his house looking for help, right? And he's basically like, oh, I've heard about this man called Dr. Strange. Why are you here? What are you doing here? And, And maybe you have a problem. Why don't you knock on the door? And it never seems to, connect to how strange has been generally speaking right so far and i thought that that was sort of on the one hand it helps aaron bring strange to a place where because like you said strange hasn't been a solo protagonist in a very long time ostensibly because his role in the marvel universe is usually the mentor figure right like he's the elder statesman the guy who knows all about the magic the deus ex machina pretty much Pretty much. It's it's the problem with characters. This like, is why Wanda's crazy for seven pages. The problem with Strange as a character is that his powers are very undefined, and it's a problem in a, in the superhero universe where it tends to work very much based on rules. You know, he can lift so so and so tons. He can run that and that fast. He can shoot lasers at this and this angle. And Strange can we do. Even see that here. Yeah, where... Strange can do anything that the plot demands him to do. And can't do anything when the plot demands him to not being able to do it. During his battle in the beginning of the issue, he makes a mistake with the spell, right? He says 10 moons instead of 12 moons. It's not clear that that mistake has any immediate impact, though, because nothing happens. It's like, well, was, was it supposed to do that? Was it not? Is he lucky? Is he not lucky? It's a, it's a bit muddled. Where, whereas at least with Brandon Seyfert's Witch Doctor, the, the rules were much more clear. Yeah. Um, now, no, I, um, will, I do have to disagree with you, though, about Bacalo. And mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I'm disagreeing with you about Bacalo, but the thing here is that in this book specifically, because it's Doctor Strange, there is justification for the artwork being messy and unclear well, and blurry. I, I, and again, it works in the later parts of the issue. Like, no, no, I'm referring specifically like to the first fight, right? We were talking about this I tentacle lady. so disagree. With the snakes and the things and the tendrils and all this, and you don't know what's happening. But he's fighting this battle on the astral plane against demons that presumably have no form, right? They're just sort of like... Um, no, no. The ca- but yeah, the characters can be confused, but the reader shouldn't be. If I have to struggle to understand the action, that's just bad art. And saying, I well, feel like that's, that could be thematically appropriate here. It well, reminds me a little because, bit of... Because uh, uh, we have the backing strip with the art by Kevin Nolan, who does right. similarly you know, oh, we'll odd, odd and strange stuff, but I can understand what the hell is going on. 
But that's also a scene where there is no real magical battle going on. Like, it sort of takes me back to, like, when you think about Ditko style, right? Mm-hmm. That whole LSD bizarre thing going on. Yeah, there, but there are clarity issues there too. No, because Ditko that's was very like, clear. I, he's not no, my favorite so artist by a long shot. Magical squiggles and all of these things going yeah, on. Yeah, but that that was usually like you know one panel or one page of you know mystical mumbo jumbo. Okay. And this then is the like actual... Bacolo taking that to to a further extent because, <clears throat> for example, when he's not having these magical fights, right? When he's just talking or yeah. flying around, is this cape a magic carpet? No. Apparently so. I, um, not not very well told. Mm. Well, when he's sitting at the bar, you know, then it's okay. It's only when you have these scenes that specifically involve mystical activity and demons and things that change their shapes and like this, all this otherworldly weirdness. That's when things are taken to a level that, to be fair, I don't think that this has ever been a thing since like Inferno, where you see like just weirdness right like the weirdness of all these demons and all this stuff so this this might actually be the only book marvel is publishing where bacalo's usual messy incoherence could be a point of strength and i just want to say that i really enjoyed the closing story and if if that backup is the actual story that Aaron's yeah, working for? I assume so. I'm ready for it, because you don't get a lot of magic versus technology in Marvel, and this is something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I, I like it. I really like the issue. I just wish for a better artist. I'm going to trade weight, but yeah, because it's Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron wor- r- rarely falters for me. I'm sticking with this, unless it gets involved in a crossover. But I do have to say, like, my conclusion here would definitely be that what Aaron brings to the table, even if it's a bit of a cheat, right? Even if he's sort of tweaking the character beyond specifications just to make him serviceable as a lead character in a solo book, it works, and I want to see what happens next. And now we're going to talk about something long-awaited, the Vertigo Resurrection. We're yes. going to give two Vertigo number ones their do and we're going to start with twilight children i think mm-hmm. this is by gilbert hernandez art by darwin cook ding 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 ink by dave stewart uh coloring by dave stewart it's, it just says coloring us so i assume colors okay so, so i assume cook is doing his own inking that makes sense yeah cook okay. would, you know and so let's, dave stewart yeah, is yeah dave stewart is a great <laughs> is a great colorist okay so what sean the plot so the plot we have a very idyllic, I think it's South American uh, village, and no, something no, that no. Hernandez does tremendously no. well is that we're focusing on this specific community, right? They are... It's know, a small Hispanic community. I think not in South America. I think it's in the USA somewhere. It's hard because there's because, no... There's no because specific. the signs are in English, you know, it's like cafe right. house, not... not uh, well, I imagine that the lack of geographic specificity has a point because yes. it turns out that every now and then, giant white orbs fall out of the sky into this town, hang around for it's a few Roger minutes, from and the then prisoner. disappear. It's ro- it's the it is it is Roger it's was the, it? I think Rover. Rover from the Rover, prisoner. Rover, the giant white ball that used to like bounce up and down and, and annoy people. Uh, and instead of that being such Except a huge... this one moves around, like, you open your fridge and suddenly it's in there. <laughs> and, it, and it's not 
a huge deal. It's not like there are government crews all around. It's like, oh, the giant ball appeared. Yeah, Let's call go. the scientists. This, Another yeah. one just showed up. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, sort of gotten it's gonna be, you know, somebody goes uh, from his bed and oh, it, half of it is in his in yeah. his top it's floor. It's from your ceiling. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. So people have gotten used, used to, to the weirdness. Right, yeah. It's some kind of alien <laughs> mystical thing. Nobody knows for sure. And then uh, towards the end of the issue, not to spoil, but something happens that changes the routine of encountering these balls. For the first time, these alien artifacts have direct, direct impact on on the people who were living in this town. And it's a very frightening moment. It's very disturbing. Darwin Cook's artwork really brings out the the violent change and what comes afterwards. Yeah, you don't think about Darwin Cook as a horror artist, but it works because he has such a naive style, I would say. It's not a good word, but not it's naive. what I mean. But it's sort of you know, clean, Inter- very clean, yeah, very yeah. simple, very... So bad. it's not... So the horror comes just from the things that happen, and he doesn't have to, you know, put you in a dark room or thunder and lightning or obscure anything. No, no, it's just... The things that he described are creepy enough by themselves to be scary, mm-hmm. which is great. It's daylight horror. We don't see enough daylight horror. Yeah, it's, it's all it... of the major scenes here, in fact, are in daylight. There are a few night scenes, mm-hmm. but you, the encounter with the ball, for example, sometimes it happens during the day. Something sometimes that happens at night. It's like there's no, there's none of the usual horror tropes. Yeah, it's, it's more something is wrong, and it's wrong because people. Don't act like it's wrong. It's like yeah, they've gotten used to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, this, you know, this giant alien ball, as usual. One of the things that I really like here, and I think it's something that Hernandez is known for. I'm not, I'm not deeply familiar with the works of the Hernandez brothers, but I do know that here, for example, a big part of the appeal, one of the reasons that I really liked the issue, was that he manages to get you invested in the little dramas of the people who live in this community. Like, this feels like a real community, right? You have the wife who's having an affair. You have the little children running around being adventurous. The, the local have, drunk. The local drunk with the tragic backstory. The right? scientist that's come to visit and the nobody guy, likes him. Yeah. The new guy who's the outsider, right? Also, I'm not sure if it's... Is he white? I think so. It's not entirely because, because, because the, of the tone. Because he's but, the outsider. So he's the outsider for whatever reason... And oh yeah, he's definitely he's not a lot wider because because of the coloring, but he's wider. Yeah, than the locals. Okay, that's you know that 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 explains it then. So you really do. I mean, and obviously in the backdrop of all this, you are aware of the fact that alien artifacts are dropping out of the sky into this town. But the thing that keeps me invested is more the question of you know what's going on with these two and why is she cheating on her yeah, husband and what happened with the drunk. A good writer doesn't make the world makes the world appear to be whole before the plot begins if it's if something is written badly you you feel like the world has started along with the plot but here you have characters with backstories and histories and their own personal dramas before the story begins and they're all interconnected together because they're living yeah. in the same and space and they're not connected only to the sphere it's not like oh this sphere has changed our life these are our lives also the sphere i just love the nonchalance <laughs> when one of them turned out oh, now well. On the other hand, it's it's very much a setup issue. It's mm-hmm. one of those. Well, and at the end, something happens. So we can't really give this, I think, the thumbs up treatment simply because the plot, as it is, isn't yet rolling. Right. And unless, unless the whole series is just going to be, you know, the little lives of these people, 
with the alien threat, which well, no, is they're not going to be. Right, yeah, presumably this is heading towards a more conventional approach because of the violent thing that happens at the end, right? This change in the status quo that happens at the end of the issue clearly indicates that whatever's been happening up until now, that's not what's going to happen going forward. Um, I don't... I agree with you that it's difficult to give it a full recommendation simply because... Well, partly because of the next book we're going to talk about, but also because <laughs> in this particular case, while I very much enjoy what Hernandez does with these characters and with the setting and with the setup and with everything that happens, there's not enough there to give me a clearer idea. For example, the last page of this comic, it ends on a panel that I'm just like, that's not really telling me anything. Like, I don't know... Who am I looking at? Who? Why? What difference does any of that make? It's not clear, right? So I feel like I need another issue to make sure, but I would definitely pick up the next issue. Okay. What so, about you? Yeah. You're coming back for more? Is this uh, an ongoing or a miniseries? I think it's a mini. I'm not okay. sure. If it's a miniseries, then I feel yeah, like that, that's I, I think more I'll, excusable. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot. Uh, the next Vertigo number one we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah, we've, we've we both, we've been really waiting for The Survivors Club, mm. written by Lauren Bukes and by Dale Helverson, and drawn by Ryan Kelly. Yeah. Now, this is a horror series, an ongoing horror series, and the plot is six grown-up survivors are drawn together by events that now they recall happened to them in 1987. And when a rash of occult events occur around the world, they sort of need to team up mm. and stop the, well, the coming slaughter, I would say, Ugh. to tie it to other events. And, okay. Can so, I just say that this might be on me, mm. because I may have misunderstood here. I was sure that the solicitations were making this sound like it was a tribute to old school. Yes, yes, movies. because because the solicitations mentioned that the, any, every one of them survived a particular horror cliche, like that you know the came, killer doll and yeah, that was reminiscent of a specific movie. So that's what I was anticipating. And here, no. But if Bukes is referencing anything here, it went completely over my head. Which is odd because you assume one of us. Would I would know, know if yeah. Chucky was in this book. Yeah, they seem to have survived more normal everyday horrors. You know, one of them was an African uh, aid worker, and one of them was is uh, an ambulance driver. Mm-hmm. So it's everyday horrors. Okay, so there are several problems with this book. The first one is it runs way, way, way too fast. <laughs> it's like by the middle of the issue, here's the threat, which is not explained. It's just it's just there. Yeah, and B, the threat is stupid. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. World-ending video game. <laughs> That's the art of... You know what that is? This could have really worked if it had been a parody of those whack jobs in the 80s who thought that video games were making yes. people kill or, like, worship Satan. Now, Bukes has done horror work with uh, social media. A large part of her last novel, uh, Broken City, Broken Monsters? Broken City. Broken City was taking place in social media circles with people talking about the events and spreading lies and misinformation. Hmm. But here's just, really? A killer video game? And it's, Not only that, but it's... it's me- and it's presented as, it's, as if it's supposed to be creepy and scary, not funny. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it, it's kind of funny. The, the thing that I didn't understand, though, because I read this issue twice, and I'm like, okay, this Survivor's Club is comprised of people who went through traumas that were not supernatural or, or horror in any particular way. And they are brought together by this woman named Chinzira. And Chinzira is the one who first went up against the video game, right? The issue seems to be implying that the video game was responsible for all of their traumas, but you never see any of the other characters as children playing the game. So what exactly does the video game have to do with anything? There's this double-page spread where she shows them a, a clip of the game and they all immediately flash back to their past traumas but there's no like what is it then what what does this video game have to do with this, anything else yeah this book talks a lot without actually saying anything of interest and Ooh. or of explanation and you have this joe hill quote in the first on, <laughs> on the cover maybe not the person to yeah. call for a quotation. no it's it's a throwback to books like Sandman and the Hellblazer that made Vertigo a legend. In what way is yeah. this anything now, Lauren, now, maybe he was talking about Lauren Buke's actual books, which are very early Vertigo-ish. No, he says Survivor's yeah, Club is yeah. a throwback just... to books like the Sandman and Hellblazer. Based no, on no. what? Yeah, it's a throwback to the Sandman spin-off, which made Vertigo a laughingstock for a while. Not even that. I mean, at least, listen, at least with like the C-list Sandman spin-offs, you still sort of understood what the story was about. It's a he throwback to Hellblazer Bad Blood. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, see, see, I went there. And the title went from being Hellblazer. It's a cover of Taylor Swift's cover of Hellblazer Bad Blood is what it is. I just, there's a fundamental lack of clarity here that I can be charitable, I guess, and say that maybe Bukes isn't used to writing comics. Like the different pacing. Yeah, but that's why and she has she, Dale Elverson. But for maybe it. she's too big a name for an editor to be like. So you just went through twenty-two pages. Okay, and, and the worst of it, it's not scary. It's no. not creepy. It's just, just horror tropes. You know, oh, bugs attack! Yay! This isn't colder. This isn't strange embrace where the artwork can disturb you more than the story. Oh it's look, not. oddly, oddly barbish lady doing odd stuff and acting okay. inhuman. Yay? No, this yep. was a real letdown. Oh, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm, no. I'm going to read her books instead. And really, like... I haven't read The Shining Girls. No, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm, read her, I'll read her books. This doesn't yeah. impact my view of her as a writer simply because, again, like, this is a different medium for her. And, you know, I can be that charitable person and say, maybe this is not your thing. But, wow, did this book, like, not scratch any of the itches that I thought it would? There's no references to 80s horror here. There's, like, the horror itself. The problem is that you don't even get a clear sense of what the individual scenarios were. Like, all of these people in the Survivor's Club, setting aside the fact that they're practically indistinguishable, because, really... They're all annoying. They're all annoying. They're all incredibly one-dimensional. It would have even been, you know, I was expecting maybe that they would be based on... Like, the final girls who usually survive these movies, so maybe, like, have Heather Langenkamp turn up at some point or something, or, or like, a character who's like her. Nothing. And and they're off to fight a recreated video game that, according to Chen Zira, opened a portal to hell that burned down her house 20 years ago. And that's it. Like, there's no connection to anybody else. No, uh, Ryan Kelly's art is fine. It's okay. It's fine, but again, like, in... It, it's not as good... 
It could have been a book where, like, I think Steve Niles isn't the world's best storyteller. Oh, uh, no, no. Artwork, Steve Niles bores me. He can be terribly boring as a storyteller. But sometimes, if he draws a visual that is visually disturbing, right, if you're looking at something that can unnerve you, then it sort of ameliorates the fact that the story doesn't Well, I No, it's just it. I think that Kelly works a lot better in black and white because Local was amazing because it was black and white and didn't need anything other than the artist's, you know, lying straight on the page. Yes. So here the coloring adds nothing and makes everything appear very, very busy, which Ryan Kelly works because he does not not easy, but simple, you know, simple in terms of what you see is what you get storytelling. That's really the problem with the book in general is that it's not, it's too complicated. Like there's a plot inside of a plot inside of a plot and it's just... And again, none of it is interesting. Not one. If you do the story with it... whole flashback is that she burned down her house in an arcade and then something, and then, okay, but then what happened to Alice? You don't know. You see, like, in that... And that's why you don't do forest fire kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, wouldn't Smokey the Bear be an excellent horror protagonist for Vertigo? I assume he appeared in some sort of... Like the... a real bear? I, I, I assume there was some version of Robot Chicken in which he appeared. <laughs> or, I don't know, Rick and Morty. Oh, that would be brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, huge <sighs> disappointment. Not okay, let's move on to our regular image number ones. And this one is by our Lord and Savior. We should probably add future Eisner Award winner to the oh, beginning yeah. of the... So, future Eisner Award winner, Paper Girls number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Written by Brian K. By future Brian, uh, Eisner Award winner, Brian K. Vaughn. And current Eisner Award winner. Yeah, and, and I also assume future Eisner Award nominee, please nominee, right. Cliff Chiang. With uh, coloring by Matt Wilson. Sean, what's what's it about? Paper Girls. Okay. This issue is about how Brian K. Vaughan still writes the best goddamn cliffhangers in all of comics. Them, but he sure <laughs> does, doesn't he? <laughs> to get back... Okay, so the plot is basically the story of four Paper Girls, right? You have Aaron, who's the new girl. Tiffany and KJ are the sidekicks who haven't quite been fleshed out yet. And Mac is this tough girl who was the first girl in their neighborhood to be a paper was known until then as a paper, paper boy. boy. So now she's a paper girl. And all that, by the way, 1987. It's, yeah. a, it's a period piece. It's, it's a period piece set in the 80s. Or is it? We'll get to that in a second. Uh, and it's about these four girls who are paper girls, right? They're delivering papers, they're running on bikes, they're encountering the neighborhood bullies, and it seems very local, and you think in the beginning that Very stand by me It has a lot of that. And, you know, that's not bad. That's not necessarily yeah, a bad thing. The idea Stephen of, King movie. you know, a period piece and these four girls who will become friends and they're facing adversity and you think that that's where it's going. But this is a Brian K. Vaughn book. You think... So... Yeah, you think it's Stand By Me, but it's Eerie, Indiana. Is it Eerie, Indiana, or it, is it something it, more... Well, it's Eerie, Indiana, or it's Gravity Falls. It's... I'd say it's more Rick and Morty at that point. Well, okay, so because the encounter is something... Some things, mm-hmm. several things, which are very, very strange, and really it ends with a weird, weird cliffhanger. Mutants and time—I ty- don't even know. Mutants and teleportation, and apple. An apple, yes, a strange yeah. apple. So wow. Okay. <laughs> what a delight. Now, things that work. Yes. Things that work. Pacing is great. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn recently. Is getting people to image to let him produce a three dollar number one, which is always double length. 
at minimum. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, monstrous. Hmm? Monstrous is 66 pages. No, no, but I'm saying in general because his previous series that we reviewed, uh, what's his name? Private Eye. No, 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 the one, the number one, the one with the robots attacking Canada. We Stand on Guard. We Stand on Guard was also double-sized. Yes. And the first issue of Saga was also double-sized. Mm-hmm. So, so he always gets these big issues and he knows how to pace them because, for instance, in the middle of this series we have, in, of this issue, we had a page that would have been in any regular series, I think, the end of the number one. You know, the regular, it's like a regular cliffhanger, yeah. but then he just... Keeps on going for a bigger Stranger cliffhanger. Yeah, it goes long enough for you for that first twist to be the hook that keeps you going yeah. until the the real bomb shows up. And really, when you think about it, if this were Survivors Club, that first twist would be where the book stopped. Yes, and that would be a mistake. B, the art is lovely, mm-hmm. lovely Cliff Chang. It you know it just perfectly captures that. Odd 80s feeling. Yeah. The style. With, without being. Fashion. Yeah, without being a self parody, which, you know, nope, thank God. Nobody has the, the odd hair or the shoulder things. Oh, the shoulder pads of the yeah, 80s. Yeah. I had almost because they're that. kids. Thank God. Yeah. All the characters here well, that's are a kids. Big part of it. I feel like that is something that lets him sidestep the whole. Because you do have some very clear indications here of the time in which they're in, mm. right? You have. Uh, one of the, the hooligans that messes with the girls is dressed as Freddy Krueger. And, you know, people don't usually go as Freddy Krueger anymore. We, we didn't intend this to be Halloween special, but... No, but it's shaping up to be that way. <laughs> and, and I'm totally fine with that. So, it really does flow very, very well. You get enough of a sense of the personality of all four girls. Nobody is a cipher. Yeah. Nobody's extraneous, right? The story would not be the and same. And they have you. a good... Type of relationship for a story in which yeah. they're friends, but it's not overly cutesy or overly antagonistic. You sort of get why they hang around together before you know before you even yeah. know them. Completely. And they're not obnoxious towards the new girl, yeah. which is also helpful. It's like it's a more grounded version, I think, of the dynamic that sort of turned me off with Lumberjanes, where it was all like too much, too hypery, too hyper, too in your face. And here it's like, no, it's just these four girls who get along. And that's before, I mean, up until now, everything that I've described would have been enough to have me keep reading anyway. But then you get to, like, the actual twist at the end of the issue, the cliffhanger, the the patented Vaughn cliffhanger. And I am completely sold because the, the brilliance of it is that it's a small thing. It's like, it's a minor detail that... Someone else might have, might not have even pointed out, right? It could have just been the sort of ubiquitous uh, little detail that doesn't occur to you. But no, it's like this tiny thing has all of these implications and Vaughn doesn't need to spell it out for you. That's, I think, the thing that I loved most about mm. this issue is the fact that he lets you figure things out without having to be... He's On the one hand, he's not so obscure or endopaque that you don't know what he's talking about. And on the other hand, he's not so obvious that he has to be like, here is the twist, right? In case you didn't know well, it, it's is, right here. The twist is very obvious. You know, it's it right is, there on the but page. But it's a small detail, yeah. right? It's a small thing. Now, there are some minor, minor quibbles, which mm-hmm. I, I think I almost mentioned just to, not to be completely no, positive. It's not It's not a perfect twist yes. issue. Now, it's not one of these grab-you-from-page-one classic like Saga, because the plot mechanics are up until the midpoint are very simple and yeah. not 
immediately, why should I care about this? Not just the characters, about this Yeah, it thing could that have I... been... It's like, if you had stopped before the point where the really crazy stuff mm-hmm. happens, it reads like a slice-of-life comic, right? Mm-hmm. And slice-of-life comics can be very, very tricky because if they're not written in a certain way and they don't appeal to you personally, like, as a reader, these girls are living a life that has nothing to do with you, or, like, you don't understand what their struggles are, you don't particularly care, and that can make it a big challenge. Now, be, uh, and that's not Brian K. Vaughn's fault, that's, you know, the market is what it is. Mm-hmm. The odd, the 80s weird thing is almost a trend by now. Like, I've mentioned Gravity Falls. Over, seen it yet. over the Garden Wall also did much of the same thing. What did that have to do with the 80s? Oh, well, you haven't watched it all the way to the end, I think. I did. Oh, okay. Uh, and in comic, we recently had the great graphic novel Sacred Heart, which also did a, you know, almost slice of life before the weird stuff starts happening and it's very 80s. Okay. So, what would have been very brilliant a year ago, now has the shine come off the concept, simply because it came out on a certain date. It's not as new and as... Ex- well, I've, I mean, 80s nostalgia is the thing. You're no, no, but right. it's a particular kind of 80s presentation it's very much eerie indiana but you know nobody remembered or cares about eerie indiana right now give them time yeah but now yeah but now people care about gravity falls which is not in the 80s but is very 80s like in its presentation i think i need to watch that show i don't know nothing about it no it's it's technically in the 21st century but you know people go to the arcade oh oh Um, yeah Mm. well it's a small town that's the point so it's not it's not an immediate classic, but it's very, very good. You right. know, I mean, God damn you. Brian K. Vaughn, can you please screw up? <laughs> no, don't screw no, up. No, because I need... I, I, I know that nobody bats a million, but keep going. It's okay, Brian. We believe in you. Mm. Um, I see what you're saying in the sense that Saga grabs you from the first couple of pages because it's on an alien world. Yeah. It's These exciting characters, this... Strange and amazing visuals. This, it's being narrated by the baby that you have just seen yeah. getting What's born. going on? Oh, this is so amazing. And this is like, oh, this is fine. This is fine. This is right. fine. It starts from a much more familiar. Yeah, this is fun. This is But fine. I think then as soon as you get to the midway point, that's when you realize that this is going to do something that you have Yeah, yeah. Seen. Okay. The question is, can you, you know, can you reward the mystery properly? Or is it going it, it to be lost? Or is it going to be. Not lost. No, I don't think this will be lost. I think. Because this is an uh, this has been why the last the man sort of ended. There's some controversy in the sense with why the last man because the longest running and most prominent mystery did not end on a satisfactory note in the sense that you never get yeah, and Brian K. an Von, answer. Yeah, Brian K. Vaughn claimed that one of the answers, one of the theories within the series. Is the answer? He just right. refused to say. But which I feel one. like that might have been the smart move there, because any answer that he would have chosen would have made the book something else. Like if you're telling the story of a magical plague, then this is a fantasy story. If you're telling the story of like a genetic disease or something, then it's a science fiction story. So I feel like he ch- sort of tried to n- go between them, and it did. Like if you try not to satisfy anyone you might end up not satisfying anyone. Mm. That's sort of the... I, I get that. Here, I, I don't know, because Saga, for example, he has said that this series has a set ending. He knows where it's going, he knows all the details that's going up to there, it's just a matter of putting it out. 
We Stand on Guard is a miniseries. Yeah. The Private Eye was a miniseries. Paper Girls, I think, is his only other ongoing. Yeah. So presumably he has some kind of, I mean, I can't think of a Brian well, K. Vaughan work that went on without a plan. He might not have always been able to get to the end of the plan. Like with Runaways, I know that he had more to say yeah. after he left. Uh, the difference between uh, Why the Last Man and Ex Machina and Paper Girls to Saga, which is why I think Saga is my fa- is favorite work of mine, mm-hmm. is that Saga doesn't have this big question of, you know, what's the big mystery? It's, you know, the plot is what it is. There's mm-hmm. a lot of complication, but it's two lovers on the run from the war. I, there, there's, I don't... there's a lot of stuff around it, and there's all sorts of mini, uh, you know, quests of why they escaped, who's the writer that influenced them, but there isn't any sort of grand question that can disappoint you. I if, kind if, of disagree there, actually. Because if the mini, I think... The for, question there is, I think from the very beginning, Hazel is narrating this in retrospective. Yes. So the question that you are always asking every single issue, every time she opens her mouth, is foreshadowing. And to be fair, Vaughn does it in a really yeah, but, way. Yeah, but there's but a difference like, between foreshadowing there's a difference to me between foreshadowing to a grand mystery. A grand mystery is a type of narrative that starts with... A Where big... is she now? But that's what? not... But that's not... I can I can leave the whole series without knowing who she is because she's a means to an end to tell the story for me. Mm. She's, she's not the only thing that's important. Where something like Why the Last Man, you know, it worked and developed something else, but it's always nagging your back. You know, you started with, okay, what caused the plague? Right. And then you basically said, well, what caused the plague isn't the, the big question. But for most no, no, readers... I thought, I thought the point was that, you know, they started out trying to figure out what caused the plague, and at some point they realized that three people traveling together across the United States were never going to have the tools or the capacity to actually figure yeah, it out. But there is a reason but you just some never... readers would take it as a cheat, as well... Yeah, we don't care that the characters basically admit it because you as a writer made a promise to us as the readers to tell us something and now you're saying, well, no, no, Maybe? what I... Some readers will take... I, I don't know. I, because I feel like when you look at the early arcs of Why the Last Man, right, there's never a situation where you get the feeling that he's saying, let's find out what caused the plague, right? It's always this concern in the background. You're right. There are always other mm-hmm. people who are talking about why the plague happened and who caused it and whatever. But I feel like it was never the thing. Okay. By the same token, I feel like if Paper Girls does go into the mystery of what happens in this issue, it really depends on how Vaughn executes it. But I have faith uh, in him. So, okay. A delight to read, yeah, and I'll be back for Paper more. Girls. And our last number one is another one from Image. Yes. I hate Fairyland. So do I. <laughs> oh, Sean. <laughs> That's not nice. I Hate Fairyland number one is the first ongoing, wholly independent comic by Scotty Young. Mm. Fan favorite, baby covers, Rocket Raccoon writing mm. Scotty Young. With assistance from Jean-Francois yeah. Beaulieu. Who does mostly the coloring, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, the plot. Why as it do is, you hate Fairyland, Tom? As it is, a little Gert, Gert. Gert is a young girl who lives a normal life. And like many little girls, she sort of wishes her life would be more magical Literally saying, I wish I would have been in a magical place. And then she's sucked into a magical world. Of course. And given a quest by princess, fairy, queen, whatever. Mm-hmm. Claudia. Yes. Of and course. then she doesn't succeed in her quest for 
20 years she's stuck there. 30, and I think. 27? 27 years okay. without growing old physically because of the nature of the magical place, but growing bitter and more cynical and angry as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Until at a certain point she just snaps and goes on a killing spree. That's yeah, it. Yes, she does. There is, and that was the description given in the solicitations, you know, young girl versus magical fairy versus cute things. And really, that's it. This book is all surface, which is not, not like the surface. <laughs> <laughs> it's the anti-surface, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, let's be completely honest here. This is a comic which pretty much turned out the way you thought it would turn it's, out it's when ra- they said that Scotty Young was going to be writing I Hate Fairyland. Yeah, it's random stimpy. It's it's, exactly. car- it's cartoon over violence to the point of hilarity. Mm-hmm. If you find she it. kills the narrator in the first issue by shooting the moon with a bazooka. The narrator is the moon and she shoots him. Yes. And she kills fairies and she kills cute animals and she curses and there's guts well, and viscera flying around, around everywhere. Uh, PG thirteen cursing and PG thirteen guts and viscera. Well, the guts are candy. It's not PG thirteen cursing. It's just that she's being censored with words that are like I don't know. If, have you read the uh, PS two thirty eight? Yes, yes. The kid with so, the uh, what chip. was his name? Zodon yes. has like this chip that he, he is cursing, but you read it as like uh, aphasia. Show tunes, I think. Something like that. So similar uh, technique here, and of course, you know, Claudia is horrified that this little girl, after twenty seven years of failing for some reason, because God knows what she's been doing all that time. Um, is wrecking her kingdom, so she decides to send a bounty hunter after her, who looks like Brock from the Venture Brothers, or if is he, that just he, me? He looks like Brock if Brock was cosplaying as Conan, the barbarian. I get the feeling that Brock does that sometimes. I, I when think, you look at him, do you? I think sometimes Conan cosplays as Brock. That would make sense too, <laughs> I guess. So um, okay, okay what do you think? It's it's fun. But in a very disposable way, like read and forget. Because, and I like these kind of things sometimes, but I think it's it aims for someone a bit younger than me. Like, oh God, I, no, 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 I'm 30, Sean. Like, if I was 15 and reading this, there are brains and yes, like, yes, like so not not 10 year olds, but if I were 15 and reading this, mm. I would be in heaven. I think that that's exactly what a 15 year old wants to read. You mm. know, the child. The childhood that he now hates being literally run, ran over. I'll say, I think unlike Survivor's Club, which is definitely going to turn out to be the weakest book that we read oh, today. Oh, yes. Um, this is a book that's not for me, but not because of anything it fails to do. Like, not because it's flawed in some clearly yeah, it's, obvious it's way. Just, it's just, you know, Young hits the accelerator... And he never lets up. Like, this book is really, really, really over the top. I mean, really over the top. She is arrested by mushroom guards and proceeds to eat them. And then, like, trips out on mushrooms and runs around with an axe. And and here's the thing. Usually, I like this sort of stuff because I like space riders Mm -hmm. and I like uh, the humans and I like space riders like this though yeah because it's basically you know pump the gas and let's go and all action and I like Transformers vs. G.I. Joe I like poppy actiony stuff which goes all the way but here there is literally nothing there beyond the surface it's just it's it's exactly what you expected to receive you get and Nothing more. Maybe part of the problem is also that Young doesn't really do enough to subvert the 
fantasy aspect because it feels like she is just running around killing all of these things and causing all of this havoc and for no apparent reason because well she's angry <laughs> yeah but the, the the way that the issue is structured you she gets this quest she walks out with her guide grasshopper whatever and then it's 27 years later and she's still on the journey like did she go she's, it's ve- not clear. she's very bad at questing yeah, but you don't actually see it's, any it's, of that. it's I don't know. She it's like the Sierra quest where you made a wrong turn twenty die. stages ago. Now you can't. Go, it's not even die. You can't go on, and we won't tell you why. Sierra, those bastards. Yeah, King's quest, peasant oh quest. My God, King's quest. Gert's quest. Gert's quest. There you go. But see, I feel like I would be into Gert's quest, except that a it's really like he just cranks the dial up to not even eleven, like fifteen. And it really is hyper-violent, and that's not... The fact that it's hyper-violent isn't in itself a a negative point. It's just, I feel like it's it's not enough. I mean, you know know what the comparison that comes to mind here is. What? An image book that's hyper-violent in a fantasy land with a girl. Or seven. Rat Queens. Exactly. It's like, why does Rat Queens work where this doesn't? Because Rat Queens does more than just... Well, Rat Queens has characters in it. Yeah. Rat, Rat Queens has characters that I mean, interact Gert, Gert and angry. develop. That's yeah. all I got. You know, and, and she's good with an axe. And the people around her are... Well, the people, the beings around her are annoying victims. Yeah. Who it's exist like, to annoy her and get killed swiftly. Th- this goes back to what we've said many, many times before about the state of the comics market, right? It's like, you read this issue, you get the gag. This comic costs $3 an issue. Is it 3 or 4 Three. Three $3 an issue. Three fifty. sorry. Okay, so for three fifty, no. You know, like, the, the joke is not funny enough, good enough, or complex enough for me to keep paying $3.50. I, 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 I read I, it, I got it, I didn't laugh at any yeah, of it. I, I have no problem with it. It's it's one of those things where I say it's perfectly fine for what it is. What it is is just not for me. Right. It's not Survivors Club. It's it's for me. It's just badly made. Exactly. This is Survivors well Club ma- has structural and writing and stylistic it's problems that are evident to the eye. Like you yeah. see it as it happens. Here, you know, Young. There's no question in my mind that Young knows what he's doing. And and he's, he's achieved a, everything and that he's, he's trying a great to do. Artist. He is. The, the, slapstick in comics is hard because you know you, you see anything that comes she up she shoots but, the moon yeah but it's, it's <laughs> such a perfect presentation even the first you know when she crashes onto the ground the first you know the first time when she reaches there and her mouth sort of opens wide and, and her game, eyeballs go like backwards then, yeah it's just it's Looney Tunes to the extreme and not and, Looney Tunes you were absolutely right you said Ren and Stimpy Ren and Stimpy that's what it yeah. is so and you know Perfectly fine. And again, 15-year-old me loved it because 15-year-old me loves Ren and Stimpy, yeah. as all 15-year-olds do. It's just, it's just not, not for us. me. It's not yeah. it's not for us, but if you like it, good for you, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, There's nothing... Again, like, this is more of a situation where the book misses... We are not the target audience as opposed to this book has problems and, of its And own. you know what? I think this would work better... Uh, if I actually get a sense of him doing something other than that, so you know what? Because image trades are always ten bucks, I'm gonna get the first trade to go. Not me. Yep. I'm, All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if he, 
I'm going to give the first rate a go because I want to see if there's something beyond just this. Because if it's just the jokes, so it's fine for like one issue, two yeah, issue, Yeah, I feel like issue. if there were more here, he would have put it in the first issue. Hmm. Because the first issue is how many pages? 30. It's, it's a 30-page issue. You, If there was something beyond the surface to this whole story, and it's an ongoing, this isn't a miniseries. Yep. Presumably, it would have come up at some point. I don't know. I just, I, I'm not I'm well, really... I'll, I'll see and tell you. Excellent. So, this was I Hate Fairyland, which we didn't hate, but didn't love. No, and this are, I, I, I am ambivalent towards Fairyland. And this was <laughs> the end of our five-issue spectacular. Till and, the day. And Til unplanned day. Halloween crossover, because all of these were, they were four comics they? of one kind or another. Yeah. Either horrifically good or horrifically Demons, bad. Demons, tentacles. Uh, and the 1980s, the scariest things. The scariest thing of them all. And the shoulder pads. And somehow we didn't have an issue of Jem here. Ah. Uh, Okay, so, so, so I was Tom Shapiro. And I'm Sean Andrews. Until next time. Bon appetit.